Children's Church. We have some uh, folks who are going to be going out to lead Children's Church, so you kids can head back that way and uh, go downstairs with them. They'll have a great time. Do I see Carter Mallory over here? Is that Carter back there? Carter, would you stand up? Carter is a U.S. Marine, has just completed his basic training out in California. We're glad to have you back here with us right now. Let's give him a round of applause. Amen. I didn't see him earlier. So we've got Ben here from the U.S. Army. We've got Carter from the Marines. They're sitting on the opposite sides of the sanctuary here. But we're proud of, we're so proud of both of them. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful to be here to worship the Lord today. And thank you for how you've already spoken to our hearts through the music that we've been singing to you. And we pray that you'll bless each one now as we open the Bible, that you'll speak to our hearts and teach us something, Lord, that we can learn today that will make us more effective as we live the way you want us to. We can learn so much from David from his life and all the things he went through, and we pray that we'll do that today. May your spirit impress upon us. And Lord, the presence of these two wonderful men and families, uh, Carter and Ben and Ben's family, we thank you so much for them, and we pray your blessings upon them as they serve our country. And uh, it helps us to think about those who serve all over the world and very selflessly give of themselves that we might be able to gather here in peace and safety and worship you and share you, not only here, but around the world. Lord, we're grateful uh, for the news we heard this morning and for the safety of our men and women in uniform who took part in that daring raid in Syria, that they all came back alive and safe. And we thank you that they were able to succeed in eliminating a bloodthirsty person who has done so much to kill and maim and terrorize millions of people. So we thank you for what they did, and we pray you'll bless them and take care of them and their families. And now we pray that you'll speak to our hearts, and may we leave here knowing, Lord, that we have heard from you, and we'll give you the praise for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 1. 2 Samuel, the first chapter. We continue looking at some of the things that happened to David in his life. We can't, we can't look at everything. Uh, he went through a lot. And so we've skipped over some of it, but we come to 2 Samuel chapter 1 because it, it really is a stark reminder of what David's heart was like. Uh, he was a man after God's own heart, the scripture says. And we see something very unusual in him in this chapter because we see how he reacts to the death of Saul and Jonathan. But particularly the way he reacts to the death of Saul. Because remember, King Saul was trying to kill him, Saul wanted him dead. And tried many times to bring that to pass. And so you would think when David heard that Saul was dead, he would celebrate. He'd throw a party. He'd have a celebration. But that isn't what he did. And we see in his reaction something of how we can learn to react 
to those kinds of things in our own lives. Now, we see some things that are kind of shocking, but you know, that's one of the ways we know the Bible is absolutely, truly the Word of God. It lays out the reality of people and situations uh, exactly as it happened. It doesn't try to gloss over things. If it was a made-up book, then it would be sanitized. That's the way people think. But that isn't the way the Word of God is. It is very raw. Sometimes it's hard to read, especially some of the things we read in the Old Testament. But we can learn from how God brought David through this time and how he reacted to the things that he went through. Let me read first the first 16 verses of this chapter, and we'll comment about that, and then we'll move on to the last part of the chapter. 2 Samuel chapter 1, it says, Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had stayed two days in Ziklag. On the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell on the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to him, Where have you come from? So he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, How did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, The people have fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan his son are dead also. So David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and Jonathan his son are dead? Then the young man who told him said, As I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear. And indeed the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me. And I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? So I answered him, I am an Amalekite. He said to me again, Please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. Therefore David took hold of his own clothes and tore them. And so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Then David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of an alien, an Amalekite. So David said to him, How was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, Go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. So David said to him, Your blood is on your own head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Then David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. And we'll look at verses 17 and following in just a few moments. 
So in this that we just read, we have a young Amalekite who comes to David and claims that he had been in Saul's camp. He says he just happened to be there. Well, that's probably a little suspect on its face. But then he tells the story of how he claims that Saul asked him to finish him off. That Saul had been wounded and that he had fallen on his spear, but he was still alive. And that Saul wanted him to kill him. And he had done it. Now, what we don't know is whether David believed the story fully or not. It doesn't really tell us. We know that is not what happened. Because if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 31, you find the account there of how Saul died. So turn back over to 1 Samuel chapter 31, and it says that Saul and his sons had been in battle against the Philistines. And look in verse 3. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead... He also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together that same day. And there's no mention there of a young Amalekite that Saul asked to finish him off. We also have the corroboration in 1 Chronicles. If you want to turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 10, we find 1 Chronicles not going along with the account of the young Amalekite. First Chronicles chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. It says, So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. Now, previous in chapter 10, you have virtually the same account as in 1 Samuel 31. In verse, if you look up in verse 4, Then Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died. So Saul and his three sons died, and all his house died together. No mention of a young Amalekite. And of course, Chronicles was written much later. It was probably written uh, pretty much at the end of the Old Testament period, looking back on the history of Israel. And so as God inspired Chronicles to be written, there's no mention there of a young Amalekite being responsible for the death of Saul. Now, there's a division of opinion. There are some commentators that will say, well, the young Amalekite really may have happened by him. And it's not that Saul didn't fall on his sword. He did. And they thought he was dead. And the young Amalekite just finished him off. I don't think that's probably the case. 
simply because you have no mention of that in 1 Samuel 31 nor in 1 Chronicles chapter 10. Most commentators believe that what we find here in 2 Samuel chapter 1, the young Amalekite very well may have been a part of that Amalekite uh, group that saw or happened by after Saul was dead and he took the crown and he took the armband because it was worth something and he thought he could go to David and that David would be thrilled to know that Saul was dead and would reward him for killing Saul if he claimed to have killed Saul because he knew that David would become the king if Saul was dead. But David did not react the way anyone expected him to. He did not rejoice that Saul was dead. And he certainly did not reward this lying Amalekite who was trying to ingratiate himself to David by claiming to have been the one who finished Saul off. It was the wrong decision for him to come and tell that tale. Because, you see, David took seriously the will of God. We sometimes, uh, you know, we talk about the will of God, but we don't have sometimes a sense of how awesome and how important it is that we honor and respect the sovereignty of God himself. And David did that. He respected the sovereignty of God. Because David had many opportunities. He could have killed Saul himself, remember? On multiple occasions, he could have killed Saul, but he did not. Even though he knew God had chosen him to be the king of Israel, he did not take that into his own hands because he knew that belonged to God. God was in control, and he trusted God. He didn't understand how everything was, was going to work out, and he went through a lot of hard times. Sometimes in your life, you're going through very difficult times. And you don't know how it's going to work out. And you might be tempted to try to take things into your own hands and manufacture something. And that's when we need to remember the example of David. He wouldn't kill Saul when he had the chance. Because he knew that God's timing would be perfect. And that God's way would be perfect. And he waited on the Lord. He trusted God. And so he was offended at this young Amalekite, not just because he had claimed to kill Saul. I think that he probably knew the guy was lying to him. But at the very idea that anyone would even claim to, to assume the role of God and to do what only was the rightful thing for God to do, he wanted all of Israel to know that he had nothing to do with the death of Saul. He didn't have anything to do with it. He knew that he was going to become the king. And the last thing he wanted was for him to assume the throne with the idea being that he, David, had been some party to the killing of Saul. Especially that he would have been in league with the Philistines or with the Amalekites in doing that. And so he had him killed. He had him killed to preserve his own ability to rule as the next king and also to defend the honor of God. Now, it's possible, David, at this point, he didn't know. He may have thought that this guy had killed the Lord's anointed. Either way, 
his action to have this, this Amalekite executed was in order to uphold the honor of God himself and to send a message that God alone is the one who rules and reigns and determines who would be king of Israel. In our lives, we should always remember that God is the only one who has the right to determine those great moments of life. Our lives are in his hands. You know, David made a statement in the passage we looked at last week. There is but a step between me and death. You know, that's true for all of us, isn't it? Every day that we live, every moment that we live, there is but a step between me and death. That's what David said to Jonathan. But he knew that the one who held that step in his hands is God. And that's true for us. God holds our lives in his hands. And there's no better place to be for someone who loves God. You are in God's care. And as long as he wants to leave us here on this earth, he will. And we can trust him to determine those times and those seasons. John MacArthur, uh, commenting on this issue of the young Amalekite and his story, he said, the Amalekite claimed responsibility for Saul's death, saying that Saul was still alive when he found him. However, 1 Samuel 31, 3 through 6, makes it clear that Saul died by falling on his own sword, not by the hand of the Amalekite. Thus, this man, who may have witnessed Saul's suicide, claimed to have killed Saul when in reality he had only reached his body before the Philistines and had fabricated the story to ingratiate himself with the new king by killing his enemy and by bringing Saul's crown and bracelet to David. The crown and bracelet in the hands of the Amalekites show that he was the first to pass by the body of Saul. And so the thing he didn't count on was the kind of heart that David had. A heart for God and a heart that was there to cry and weep with those who wept. This is one of the most remarkable reactions that you'll see anywhere in Scripture. A mortal enemy, someone who tried to kill David repeatedly, and David doesn't, he doesn't celebrate his death. He mourned his death. I think he mourned not only for Jonathan, but he mourned for Saul because he mourned the lost opportunity of Saul's life. God gave Saul so many opportunities to be a faithful king, and he threw them all away. You may know what that feels like. You may have had someone in your own family or someone that you knew, cared about. You did everything you can to try to reach that person, try to help that person, to have a life that was the way God would want it to be. And despite all of your efforts, despite all of God's efforts, it didn't happen. Instead, they rebelled and rebelled and rebelled, and eventually disaster came. This is how David felt. He didn't rejoice in the fall and the destruction of Saul. He mourned it, and we should mourn it too. When somebody falls by the wayside, when someone fails, we shouldn't point and laugh. 
We shouldn't rejoice in that. We shouldn't find some sick pleasure in the fact that somebody else fails. It doesn't lift us up. It doesn't build us up if we are like that. We should mourn for those who are destroyed. Just like David mourned for Saul. And of course this mourning that we see in verses 17 and following are for two people. And what a contrast for Saul, who really did fall three times in this song that David wrote. We read, how the mighty have fallen. Let's read what he says here in verses 17 and following. Then David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. And he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Have you heard that phrase before? That's kind of come into our, our English vernacular, hasn't it? When, something, when somebody really fails and there's a big fall and destruction in a person's life. How the mighty have fallen. Well, that's what David said. But he wasn't saying it derisively. He was mourning. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you. Nor fields of offerings. For the shield of the mighty is cast away there. The shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. For the blood of the slain. From the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. You can just really feel the deep emotion of, of David as he spoke about Saul and Jonathan. Do you notice something here? David did not say one negative word about Saul. Not a single negative word about him. In fact, he praised his life, didn't he? You've heard the saying, don't speak ill of the dead, right? Well, that's what he modeled here. Was there a lot of bad things he could have said about Saul and his life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there a lot, are there a lot of things that could be said about the life of anybody who lives on this earth that's negative? Absolutely. But he models for us something that isn't just some pie-in-the-sky thing. It really, I think, shows good character. And it shows submission to God. He chose to speak of the positive things about Saul and his life. He wished it would have been much, much more. He didn't take any pleasure in Saul's demise. But instead he spoke well of him. 
Oh, that we would think like that, that we would have a heart that would speak well of people. We sometimes not only fail to, to speak well of the dead, we don't always speak well of the living, do we? But we should. It doesn't mean there's not negative things that could be said. But oh, that we would be like David and leave that to God. He hasn't set us up as people's judges. God is the judge. And he will do what is right. David was submitted to the will and the purpose of God. And even in the death of Saul, we see him continuing to take that submissive role. But he was going to be lifted up. God was going to lift him up and make him the king. And why do you think God did that? Because he had a heart like God's heart. A heart after God's own heart. And so should we. A heart for God's holiness and will. A heart that weeps with those who weep. And we should remember that God is at work in all things to bring about his will. See, David left it to God. And God was always at work. And you know what? He's at work in your life. The unseen hand of God. You don't see it all the time, most of the time. But he's there. Opening doors, closing doors, bringing people into your life, bringing you into other people's life. God is at work always to bring about his perfect will. Even though we don't recognize it much of the time i go back to first chronicles as we close and read i started to read it uh, when i wasn't quite ready a few moments ago some of you caught that first chronicles chapter 10 verses 13 and 14 who killed saul well saul killed saul the amalekite claimed he did it i don't think he did But the chronicler, the historian, looking back over time as God inspired him, what did he say in 1 Chronicles 10, 13? So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. But he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he killed him. Capital H, God. Therefore, God killed him. He killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Through all of that that happened, all of those battles and the death of Saul, God was right there. God was at work. And many times it's much after the fact, looking back back over the course of your life, you can go back and look and see the hand of God. You can see how God was at work. In the moment, you can't see it. You can't discern it. You think, that person is doing this. And they are. It's not that they're not. But the permissive will and the intentional will of God are always at work out there to bring about His great purpose in our lives and in His kingdom. And so you can trust God because he's the one who is at work out there. He was going to put David on the throne. 
And he had a thousand ways he could have done it. And finally he did it. Saul came to an end. And David was raised up. It's our job to be faithful to God. Saul wasn't. David was. It's our job to love God. To serve Him. To submit to Him. To trust Him. And to know that in His time, He will bring about what is best and what is right. Because He alone is God. Will you pray with me? We thank you, Lord, for your work in the life of David and for what we see in David's example. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us to put you first, your will first, your glory first, and then to just trust you to work out the details in our lives, to lead us each day, show us the steps we need to take, but to know that you're standing above it all, And you're working to bring about your perfect will for each of us and for each of us as a part of your kingdom. And we look forward to the day when we'll all be together in your presence face to face. We pray, Lord, that everyone here is ready for that day. It's true for each person here. There is but a step between me and death. Are you ready to stand before God? You can be. And God has made a way that you can give your life to Him and be forgiven of your sin. And we thank you, Lord, for doing that. So if there's someone here who is not certain that if they died today, they would go to heaven, Lord, help them to to now say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. And I will follow you. And we thank you, Lord, you are faithful to do what you say you will do. So you lead us now in this time of decision and help us to leave here knowing, Lord, that we belong to you and we're going to be faithful to you each day. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.